Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I heard that down there. All right. The Spirit's alive. Last night, I was uh, having a conversation with uh, one of my kids, my six-year-old, and uh, she's kind of the philosophical one, and she likes to ask interesting questions. She said, Papa, and she qualified it. She said, as an adult, I was like, okay, as an adult, as an adult, have you ever lied before? And I said, uh, hmm. In my mind, I'm thinking, how am I going to answer this question and then I think, have I lied before? I probably have, but do I say it? Do I talk to her? So I asked her a question back, like a good educator does. I said, uh, why do you ask? And what do you mean by as an adult? And so we had a dialogue that went back and forth with questions and answers, questions and answers. And we learned a lot about honesty and lying and adulthood and, ch- and being a child and about forgiveness and about sin and about the spirit working in our lives. It was cool. Asking questions helps us learn, right? Good teachers do that. They ask questions of their students. When we were in grade school, we would raise our hands, we would ask questions, and good teachers often ask as many questions to us as we ask to them. The learning process happens when we ask questions, when we have questions in our minds and we express them and we dialogue with each other. We look throughout the history of the world, we see it happening all the way back to Socrates, we see Jesus doing it all the time, and even if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God came amongst them and asked a question. He said, where are you? Where are you? Questions. They help us get to think. They help us understand. They help us grow and mature and wrestle with the ideas and the struggles we have in our lives. Now, raise your hand. How many of you were confirmed as a kid in the Lutheran church? Do we have any of you out there? All right. Does this look familiar right here? Can you see it? Yeah? The little blue catechism, I guess now it's maroon, right? It's no longer blue, but if you're of my era, you remember the blue one. Well, the blue catechism, Luther's small catechism, was designed to be used in the family. And it has a bunch of questions to help spur the young disciples on to grow in their faith. The head of the family asks them a question. They're supposed to answer it back and learn about God and about Jesus and about following him. So there's one question that keeps on coming up in the small catechism. 23 times it happens. Does anybody know what that question is? Shout it out if you know it. What does this mean? All right. Okay. I was hoping someone would. What does this mean? It's a great question. What does this mean? Today we celebrate Pentecost, and some of you are asking, like, well, what does that mean? What did Pentecost mean to the very first church? What does it mean for us here today? What does it mean to the disciples and to the crowd and the church throughout history? What does this mean? Well, let's take a little review where we've been. We started out at Christmas. Jesus was born. We followed Jesus' life. We have the Holy Week where we look at Jesus and his suffering. On Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, he's crucified. Easter Sunday, he's raised again. And then 40 days later, he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. We talked about that last week, about God's power being for you and for me and for our lives. Ten days later, Pentecost happens. Jesus had promised right before he ascended, he said, I will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit undoes the scattering of the languages that we read about in Genesis chapter 11. So what was Pentecost in Jesus' day? See, the Jews of Jesus' day, they celebrated three big festivals. One of them was Pentecost. It was also Passover in Tabernacles. But on Pentecost... 
the Jews from all of the world gathered together in Jerusalem, and they celebrated. They celebrated the harvest being done, and they gave back to God the first fruits of all that he had given to them, just kind of like what we do in our offering every week. But it was a big party, and all of God's people gathered together. That very first Pentecost, after Jesus ascended, 10 days after he ascended, this is what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Some people say it was probably about 120 disciples, followers of Jesus. Verse 2, it says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The violent wind reminds us of the very first morning of all mornings of creation where the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. The wind, this heavenly wind, was attracting people that very first Pentecost. It says they were all gathered together in a house. It could have been a private building. It actually could have been part of the temple. We do not know, but we do know that people knew what was going on and something powerful and awesome, a heavenly wind was coming upon them. Verse 3, it says this, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. If there was ever a time to ask the good old question from the catechism, that would be it, right? What does that mean? What does that mean? Tongues of fire splitting apart, resting upon each of them? What does that mean? In many ways, we can't really understand it. We can't totally explain it, but we do know that something amazing, something miraculous, something divine is happening, and it's happening to each of them, not just for the pastors, not just for the leaders, each of them, every one of the followers of Jesus were experiencing the Spirit of God in a powerful way. It talks about fire. They would have thought back to the Old Testament. They would have thought back to the burning bush where God visited Moses in the fire. They would have thought back of that pillar of fire that led the Israelites in, in the desert and brought them out of slavery. They would realize that this fire is God himself coming to us individually, each of us. And that fire empowered them to do something amazing. Verse 4, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is. Jesus said, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, here it is. They had the power. And it says they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Todos fueron llenos del Espíritu Santo y comenzaron a hablar en otras lenguas. Anybody understand that? Some Spanish speakers out there? That's what it was like. You're like, hey, that guy doesn't speak that language, does he? That's what was happening. People that didn't speak languages were speaking languages they, they never thought they could or knew, and they were speaking it in relevant ways into people's lives. Verse 5, it continues on. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. You see what happened, and you saw it in the image. You saw it in the video we watched a moment ago that at these big festivals, these big parties, the, the Jews that were scattered in all the colonies throughout the world would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate, to focus on God. It says they were all there in verse 6. It says, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. There's something to be said about hearing the truths of God, being visited by God himself in your own language, right? I mean, we know God, most of us in the room this morning, through the English language, Jesus never spoke English on this earth. 
He spoke Greek. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke Latin. But we know God through the English language because that's what God does by the Holy Spirit. He brings himself to us in ways that we understand. And in verse 7, we see that they were utterly amazed. Something without precedent was happening in their midst, and they didn't have words to understand or history or experience to know what was going on. And so what did they do? They asked questions. Good questions. It says, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, our own language. What's going on here? Fifteen different places are represented in cities, provinces, islands, north, east, south, west. You saw it on the map a moment ago. They were all hearing about the mighty works of God in their own language. I used to be a vicar, uh, a pastoral intern down at Costa Mesa, Christ Lutheran Church. Great church down there. One of the things I did was I worked in Hispanic ministry down there to bring Bible studies into the local neighborhoods. And one of our elders there, his name was Jorge, George. He was a great man of God, a deeply spiritual man. He had come from South America. He came to North America, come to the United States to study architecture, a very successful architect. He had kind of let the Spanish language and his culture go decade after decade as he was assimilated into life in Southern California. He heard about the Hispanic ministry, and he said, you know what, I'd like to do that. And so he volunteered to lead a Bible study. He was going to lead it on the Gospel of John. I got a commentary on the Gospel of John from my friend who's a missionary in Venezuela, and he said he opened up the commentary and he started reading, and he just couldn't stop reading it because he was reading about Jesus and about God in the language that he grew up with in Spanish, and he, the words he said were powerful, and they were, they were dripping over my heart and my life. He said I was returning to some deep, sacred place of who I am to hear God work speak to my heart. My friends, that is Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes to us in relevant, in powerful way and speaks our language so that we know the truths of God. Verse 12 continues on. It says, amazed and perplexed that this miracle was happening. And it says, can you see it right there? They asked one another. They're like a good Lutheran, right? Oh, wait. Luther came 1,500 years later, but still... What does this mean? What does this mean? Just imagine if you were there the very first Pentecost. Would you ask that question in honest inquiry, what does this mean? Would you be skeptical about it? Would you think, oh, it's kind of like a Disneyland thing happened and they have ways to do that. It's pretty cool. Or would you in honest inquiry ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? What is God doing? What is God doing in our lives, in our very midst, in front of us? What does this mean? Well, verse 13 says that some people, they were skeptical about it, like some people are today. Some, however, it said, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. It doesn't fit my worldview. How could God do something like that? I've been alive for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years. I know everything. God fits into my mind. 
But sometimes if we are humble enough and we're able to get rid of our pride, we're able to step into God's world and say that, yes, maybe God can do things that I can't think about. Maybe God is beyond me. Maybe God can do the miraculous, the divine, and come into the world and bring his Holy Spirit into my life and bring change and speak to me in ways that I understand. Maybe this account, even though it seems strange, is true. Maybe, yes, it's beyond the bounds of my imagination, but yes, it happened. It's miraculous. It's inscrutable. It's the origin of the Christian church, and it's a power that goes beyond this world, and it changed the lives of the disciples. The disciples, they were timid with fear. They couldn't speak, but the Spirit came and gave them a voice, a strength, and courage in relevance to those around them. In fact, as we look at Acts chapter 2, this mighty event of the Spirit and the fire and the wind, that first Pentecost, that wasn't actually the big deal. That just kind of got everyone's attention because if you read Acts chapter 2, and that's your homework assignment, I want you to read the rest of Acts chapter 2 this week. The rest of Acts chapter 2 is Peter preaching the very first Christian sermon. It's a powerful sermon. And in that sermon, he asks and he answers the question, what does this mean? See, the miracle of wind and fire and commotion and languages, it was just to get their attention it was to grab them to say, what does this mean? And then Peter explains it to him. Peter. Peter, the guy who had just recently denied Jesus Christ. Peter, the cowardly disciple. You remember back in Genesis, the spirit hovered over the deep and breathed life into man. Here at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the spirit hovered and breathed life into Peter and created a new man. A man filled with courage and power and authority to preach the word of God and to answer their question, what does this mean? He says, I'm going to tell you what this is and what this means. He goes back to Joel. He says, a prophecy is being fulfilled among your midst. The prophecy said, I will pour out my spirit and there will be signs and there will be wonders. And it says in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved by Jesus, Jesus who is the Messiah, Jesus who is the Christ. He says, you put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. God put him at the right hand, exalted him, the right hand of God the Father, and he has poured out his Holy Spirit among you this very day. And it says in the scriptures when they heard Peter preaching powerfully and boldly, it says that they were cut to the heart. They had killed God's Messiah. They had killed the Christ that they longed for. And that's when we see that this very first Pentecost after Jesus' ascension, it wasn't just some mellow worship service where the family went to get brunch afterwards. It's the foundation of the history of the Christian church where the Spirit of God was hovering. The Spirit of God was hovering over the beginnings of the creation of the biggest unity movement in the history of the world, Christianity. Wow. The Spirit at work at Pentecost. The Spirit not just working in some individual way. We do that with the Spirit a lot. The Spirit's working in my heart in some interior, personal way, and He does that. But at Pentecost, we see the Spirit working in a public way. There's wind and there's fire and there's commotion and there's buzzing talk and, and people are confused and there's debate about what's going on. The Spirit was enabling the church to go public. 
to preach the good news, and it was attracting people and speaking words that were relevant to people's lives. A new wind was blowing through the world. For some people, that new wind, it brought a storm of wrath and confusion, just like it does today. But for some people, it brought a fresh breath of hope and empowerment, just like it does for us this morning. It was all pointing to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they, when they heard Peter preaching, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Love it. You see the progression of the questions from what does this mean to what shall we do? And Peter says to them, you only got to do this, repent and be baptized Receive the forgiveness of sin and the Holy Spirit and the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone. Verse 21, Acts chapter 2 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 3,000 people were baptized that very first Pentecost. The Spirit moved. The people of God asked, what does this mean? And then they asked, what shall we do? And so I think that this morning, this Pentecost, 2,000 years later, perhaps we should ask the same thing. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? What shall we do? I think that one thing that it means is that we have a way of looking at other people in our lives and we often look down upon them. We're discouraged by them, maybe because of their moral choices or maybe because of their political persuasion, maybe because they're young or old or rich or poor or socially awkward or socially sophisticated. The gospel message for Holy Spirit Sunday, for the Pentecost Sunday, is that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ is for every human being, everyone, even the people we don't like, even the people that are different on us, even the people with a different political persuasion, even the people that speak a different language or a different culture or act a different way, even for the immoral and the moral, the prisoned and the free. The gospel is for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does this mean? What shall we do? Well, we should connect, grow, and share for sure. But maybe we need to look at the underlying power behind that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read it last week. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That scripture is being fulfilled in our presence this very morning. We are the ends of the earth. By the power of the Holy Spirit of our ascended Lord Jesus Christ, what should we do? It says it right there, we should witness. But what should our witness look like? What does it look like for us to share Christ with our words? Maybe it should look like that very first Pentecost. Maybe our testimony and our witness and our sharing should be filled with wind and fire and loud, buzzing, public debate. Maybe it should be relevant and inclusive, unifying, yet filled with controversy at the same time. Maybe we should be getting into the thick of it, into the messiness of people's lives where it's confusing and loud and we're able to bring wind and fire and the passion of the Spirit. Maybe that's in your own marriage. Maybe that's in your family. 
Maybe that's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's at work. I don't know where it is for you. But the message of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit is for every human being and God's grace has called everyone to it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that especially this week, all of us would lead into the Spirit, that we would engage in conversation and in relationships with those around us, that we would trust the power of the Holy Spirit alive 2,000 years ago is alive this very morning and working in our lives and that we would wrestle with those questions. What does this mean and what should we do? We would invite our children, our friends, the people entrusted into our care into those very same questions. What does this mean? What shall we do? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for being alive amongst us this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word and your grace and your fire. Holy Spirit, empower us to speak boldly and courageously and in relevant ways into people's lives. Help us, Spirit, not to rely on ourselves or our own minds, but on you working through us. Help us to trust that we are able to bring a message that is completely clear and entirely confusing at the same time to bring hope and peace and truth into people's lives. This week, Lord, we ask you that we would lean in to the power of the Holy Spirit as we talk to our children and to our spouses and to our families and to our friends and co-workers, Lord, that we would grab the opportunities and let you work through us in powerful ways as you did the very first Pentecost, as you do amongst us now this very morning. We ask it in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit, amen.